You're listening to the Quince podcast. Welcome to season 2 of the Quince Fortnightly podcast Land of a Billion. We aim to bring you expert conversations about the most contentious of the holy roti kapda makan trinity that is the makan over our heads and the larger ecosystem that governs it. This podcast is produced in association with the Property Rights Research Consortium supported by Omidya Network India. I'm Bhargavi, a researcher interested in land and access to finance and your host for this season. When it comes to land ownership and access, developing and developed countries do many things differently, right from preserving land records to building institutions and enforcing property rights, very many differences across countries. However, if there is one common feature on property ownership and access that binds all countries, like Tolkien would put it as ring that rules them all, it is the gender gap in access and ownership of land. While there is wide variation across countries in this gender gap, men are more likely to own property than women almost everywhere. For example, in India, an NCAR survey shows that while women constitute 42% of the agricultural labor force, they own less than 2% of its farmland. Why does this happen? How is it so consistent across geographies? Has it changed over time? And how does this gender gap affect women's socio-economic status and their quality of life? To break down the social phenomena underlying this consistent trend, we speak to two guests here today. We have with us Shipra Dev, who leads Land ESA's work for gender equal and inclusive land governance in India. Shipra specializes in designing and implementing gender responsive strategies and development programs including those related to land. Her work in the past two decades has focused on expanding opportunities for rural women and girls, enabling them to have more control over their lives. We also have with us Pranab Chaudhary who's a researcher and consultant on natural resource management and governance with more than 25 years of experience. Pranab has founded the Center for Land Governance in 2015 which is known for its policy and action oriented research on inclusive land tenure. I know the Center for Land Governance as the home of the India Land and Development Conference, a fantastic platform that actually aggregates great research all over the country on issues of land policy. Welcome Shipra and Pranab to the Land of a Billion podcast. Thank you Bhargavi, thank you for having us today. Thanks Bhargavi. Sure. So, you know, let's begin with perceptions. So, Shipra, you know, in one of your papers, I remember you had described a fantastic experience where you asked a group of agronomists to draw a farmer and most of them drew male figures. And this is also true for a lot of us when we picture a farmer more often than not we are thinking of a man. This is despite the 2011 census suggesting that actually 4 out of 5 women in rural India work in agriculture. Could you tell us what has shaped this perception of, you know, men always being equal to farmers? Are there social legal factors that have contributed to our perception? What is this identity deprivation that is going on here? I will begin with the pre-colonial periods when the land was controlled by communities themselves and everyone in the community both men and women had collective rights over the produce of land so in those times everyone's interests were taken care of and women were co-sharers in every field so probably 
there was absolutely no need to talk of women's independent rights in those settings what happened was that during the colonial times the britishers were more interested in collecting revenue and land especially agricultural land was a major source of revenue to them so they introduced the idea of individual ownership of land and in this new dispensation it were only men who were given proprietary titles to land so women therefore were automatically excluded from their customary shares and they became increasingly dependent on men several scholars have observed that this shift from community ownership and shared access of natural resources to increasing fragmentation and privatization led to women being increasingly divorced from access and control over land and resources secondly what happened was that it was again during the colonial times when the codification of laws began so when laws were codified in india including inheritance laws and other revenue laws it wasn't just the india's customary practices and legal doctrines that were getting codified but in fact there were rules that were borrowed from british or other laws so even british women in those time hadn't had the laws that spoke of their rights to property so it was highly unlikely for british authorities to concede to women's equal rights to land thirdly what happens is we as a society presume that land belongs to the household and that household heads are men and that everyone's interest in the household are congruent this actually causes women's independent identity to be subsumed in the identity of the household which is considered to be male headed and at the time of independence also when the land reforms were introduced in india the popular principle was land to the tiller and the tiller was almost always considered a man so as a result what happens is all these presumptions together are reflected in the policies of colonial times and they have been carried forward into the land reforms which were enacted post independence in india as a result most of the modern day policies and laws which govern land today and these includes policies related to you know land distribution by the government fixation of ceiling for feature of surplus land fragmentation of agricultural holdings and most importantly inheritance laws they have all remained largely conservative with respect to rights of women and together this gamut of laws have really ensured that the existing patriarchal hold over land continues generation after generation and women's marginalization in land ownership remains as such so that's what is the you know social and legal factors which come into play thanks shubhrat you know i i think it's it's a uh, it's a very good point to begin with right which is that what was was land ownership always like this i mean was it always so skewed in favor of men or have things changed and you know one thing that strikes me about the narrative that you mentioned about you know how codification of laws and really actually recording land rights led to this skewed ownership structure couple of things one is you know when we say that actually india started codifying laws once the we had enough a uh, tangible uh, of an idea that we are going to get independence soon we actually departed from several practices 
that were prevalent in India before the codification process started, right? So, for example, our constitution looks remarkably different. Uh, we took into account many social realities. And I wonder why we did not take into account the social reality of community ownership that existed prior to codification. So that strikes me as important as how we've actually been, uh, maybe, maybe there was some selective recognition of social realities at that time. Maybe there was nobody who was standing up for this cause at that time. And uh, we just ended up continuing with the same sort of practices of land record ownership that the British followed. And that contrast strikes me as interesting that while some social so, uh, social realities were recognized in codification, others weren't. And Pranab, you know this, right, which is that the lack of reliable data on land ownership among women. And, you know, there are a, there is a lot of work that has been done on this front, but you have explained previously that how different data shows, you know, this proportion of land ownership by women very differently. Would you tell us how have these different data sets come together and does it reflect one true picture or do we see different pictures depending on which scholarship you're reading at any given point of time? Thanks, Bhargavi. Uh, I think this is a very important question. While the documentation codification definitely widened that gap and make it clearly visible uh, during colonial and post-colonial regimes, the thinking around that was already there. And in a way around that, the whole system of dowry, marriage. So always something, how you control the property, how you control the women, the power and patriarchy was trying to you know, sustain that. I think that same reflection to in a very rather unconscious way or subconscious way is reflected in the land right data. The, I think these data sets have just added a gender dimension to segregate, but they have never looked at you know, seriously this whole land tenure dynamics, looking at you know, how important it is you know, for women to own land. So what has happened, what has been there that has been recorded, and if you look at the different data sets, so they also, the way they define, they define based on, you know, this women land ownership, particularly based on their own you know, understanding. Because we talk about land ownership, but if you look at the data sets, uh, they hardly record land ownership. And even if you look at land ownership, uh, for example, we are talking about the Digital Indian Land Protection Program research that NCR made. That also records something which is recorded in the title. And as all of you know, the ownership and the way India's titling as well are different. What is there actually? There is a land-people relationship. So as all of you know, it is a continuum. So somewhere you have a right or a bundle of right, we call it. You have right to own and alienate. You have right to use. You have right to you know manage. You have right to access. So if you look at you know, these different data sets which uh, record land uh, in the name of men, men or women, they also measure this know differently and as a result of which as you were talking about the DLRP data that NCR looked at no women farmers right as two percent so it varies widely from two percent to sixty percent like Prindex talks about sixty percent somewhere this uh, national family health census talks about family survey NFHS uh, the recent report is out talking about around thirty five to forty percent ISDS sometimes talk about eleven percent agriculture census talks about fourteen percent socioeconomic caste census put a different figure and this ICRISAT survey that Bina Agrawal has been quoting also put a different figure. And interestingly, if you look at the metadata, the, the way they present, they're very different. For example, if you look at India Human Development Survey, they measure at an individual level, not at a household level. And they see that in a, a, every household, which are the three individuals owning the land and out of them, how many, how many are women? 
So in that context, they put it as a 11%. So it is a completely like what percentage of women are there in the three members list that own land, top three members list that own land in a family. So this is coming different. If you look at agriculture census, it look at something called operational holding. Operational holding is not exactly the ownership. This is something which is a kind of no ownership plus tenant relationship. Suppose if you own some land, five acres, and you are leasing in two acres, so it becomes seven acres, and you lease out three acres. So four acres is your operational holding, but five acres is the land ownership, the land you own. And interestingly, in India, the land operational land holding are as per the ownership of the head of the household and the gender is uh, again as per the head of the household. If the head of the household is a woman, then it will treated as, it, you know, it belongs to them. It is not a woman, it will not treated as them. So, in that case, only where the head of the household is women, there the operational holding as treated as belongs to women land, right? And that put the figure as, you know, about 14%. So, similarly, the different figures are there. But interestingly, what is happening, you know, over the year, that we have been observing and analyzing data with, with, with every census, we found one interesting thing that it is increasing every census or every survey. Though it is very slow, but it is increasing. We also see a very interesting pattern from north to south. We see, you know, most of the states in south, they have comparatively higher women land ownership than north. So just looking at women land right, I'd say, while data are complex, between the data and between the geography and between you no know, other variables, we see a lot of interesting trends, which also you know, explains why in some states or some districts are having better land ownership. And overall, uh, we also see that you know, the, the, that trend is uh, increasing. So just to summarize, while we always say there is lack of reliable data in India, but I think India is a country where data is really diversified, rich, and different sources are there. And that sources, if you go deeper into that, provide an interesting landscape to you know to research and analyze and understand what is human land right. But at the same time, overall, it give, gives a very confusing space. And if you look at the standard data that we look to report the SDG, this 14% is too small. So that there is a long, you know, I think, low road to achieve. Got it. So Pranab, what I'm hearing you saying is that depending on what is being measured, the results will be different, right? And I, I think that makes intuitive sense, which is that if you're measuring operational holding or if you're measuring by ownership or if you're measuring just in terms of uh, the just the right to use land, maybe the results will be different. If you're measuring the number of women as a percentage of the household, the results will be different. And depending on what you're measuring, the results will be different. But what I'm hearing you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that one consistent trend that emerges is that with every census, it does seem like women are gaining more access to land. This this trend is slow, but it is happening. And, and that's probably a good sign. Maybe it varies across state. The, the speed is different across states. And there are different reasons for that. And, and that actually gives us the perfect natural experiment, right? So, for example, if we see that some regions are actually making slower progress than others, then what is going on in those regions that is slowing down the progress is something that we can see. And we'll come to the policy interventions that actually expedite or slow down progress when it comes to women's access to land and uh, land ownership. But uh, before that, I wanted to ask Shipra, actually, that we began this conversation with, you know, the perception of women as farmers or the non-perception of women as farmers. Do you think it makes a difference to the reality of women when they're deprived of their identity as farmers and how? 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Bhargavi. When women are not recognized as farmers, they get actually ignored in the entire agriculture ecosystem, and their contribution to agriculture becomes just an extension of their unpaid household work. Now, if you look at the textbooks of pre-primary school, you know, and and we are teaching the pre-primary students, people who help us, and when we are making the picture of a farmer. it's almost always a man and it's true for you know other workforce as well you know when we picture a driver a doctor a soldier all of them are invariably men yeah sorry i'm going to i'm uh, shipra sorry i'm really tempted i can't resist this one the only women farmer that comes to mind you know when you say this is the poster of mother india and that too uh, you know if you remember that poster it is uh, that of a uh, of the main plot you know the main actor in that movie i don't know her name to you for that but right where they show her dragging a plow and you know yeah. uh, in the far yeah. in the field and that's such a sad picture but uh, it seems to me that actually that at least in popular culture as well it seems to be the perception that you know jai jawan jai kisan is always somehow linked to men and i can literally just think of one film poster that actually shows a woman as a farmer and you know what happens is you know when we see a farmer as a man portrayed everywhere including you know the advertisements that we see for agricultural inputs say for fertilizer and advertisements that we see from banking institutions which are to extend credit to farmers we will always see men and men pictured here when we see uh you know hoardings for uh agricultural fairs it's all men so what happens is when we grow up and we are and when we are conditioned to see men as only farmers it's the same people with the same conditioning who one day become policy makers and when we design policies with these mindsets we tend to target policies only for men then women are not included in agricultural trainings and and extension services when extension people they go to the villages to organize meetings with farmers they just conduct meetings with men and they tell their technologies and products to men and women are just left out similarly agricultural research is also not targeted to women's needs and is not attuned to their perspectives and knowledge what happens is when women do not own land they also are not able to benefit from various agriculture support programs such as credits subsidies crop insurance and marketing facilities all of these continue to be linked to land ownership if you go to a wholesale mandi today in any city you will see that it's just a you know male's space it's just a men's domain it's very difficult for a rural woman who is producing agricultural products to come to that mandi and uh, you know negotiate price with uh, with a male arti and then you know being able to sell i have myself visited these mandis as and i've seen how difficult it is for women to just participate in those mandi processes so if for example you know th- there is a policy that helps women farmers sell their produce within the man- in mandi in transparent ways these things will be helpful but you know just because our policy makers tend to see only men as farmers all these needs of women farmers continue to get ignored now while women do not receive the identity and the dignity and the opportunities they deserve it's also important to see that because of all these uh, blocks they are 
very often unable to contribute fully to the economy and this results in high costs both in terms of economic development as well as human development for the nation there is this very often cited data by fao that if women farmers had equal access to resources credit farming equipment and new technologies yields could increase by 20 to 30% per household and countries could experience an increase in agricultural output by i think 2.5 to 4% but you know bhargavi beyond these numbers and these intricate connections i find that land rights for women are critically important because they change the way women are viewed in the society and also the way women view themselves you know these land rights they really dig down to the root of gender inequality radically and quietly uprooting it overturning it and just because land is such a powerful asset with its ownership women get the power to get control of their own lives to a great extent and that's why i think it's really important to work on this one thing if we aim for gender equality one day i honestly think that you know actually women uh, i mean we associate professions with different genders right so for example i agree that i do not think of a woman when i when you mention the word farmer but then i can think of uh, when you mention the word teacher for example or when uh, you uh, mention other informal works such as women carrying water where there is no tap water you know women walking for kilometers and carrying water we don't really imagine men being in that position we imagine women you many people call it romanticizing the idea that women are able to carry you know multiple pots of balance multiple pots of water on their head etc but uh, it seems to me that actually we associate genders with different professions associating the male gender irrespective of the reality with farming actually dep- has real consequences and deprives women of the many benefits that the state provides for example or even capacity building when it comes to training because the atmosphere is never designed or the trainings are never designed to in- specially include women so i wonder is it is this a special case of india or do we see that this is different elsewhere what does pranab think about this do you find that the practices that the perception is india specific emerging market specific or do you see other countries designing things specially for women farmers yeah bhargavi you know uh, this is quite interesting again because if you look at a farmer you see a face of a man or think of you know a man image coming in but if you look at agricultural laborer if you look at paddy transplanting if you look at weeding which are the like the more painstaking processes always you know women photographs comes you know to your mind or a picture comes to your mind i think many of you must be many of you would be hearing it must be watching this you know famous spanish this netflix serial money heist and the money heist uh, there is a song you know the title song this title song uh, though it is being you know now celebrated as a renaissance song as a song of freedom there is a title song which is celebrated in italy and now it is going around the world thanks to money heist also earlier many social movement they you know pattern is uh, that song as a, a song of liberation but if you go to the history of that song that history of that song is you no know, uh, linked to the italy's paddy cultivating uh, women the agricultural laborers who would be doing transplanting and weeding in paddy fields and they would sing this song to support each other and you no know, dream of getting liberated one day 
So that is something now ironical. Even in the farmer, there is a farming hierarchy. There is a land-owning farmer. There is a tenant farmer. There is an agricultural laborer. So tenant farmers are always poor, small farmers. Those, those we call peasants or you know, peasantry around which the revolution. So that image is also there in the literature, the people studying that. And also when you talk about agriculture labor, you think about women. So this is something, you know, which is not only characteristic of India. If you go to neighboring countries, I have been working in, you know, very closely in other South Asian countries, Nepal, Bangladesh. And uh, there I see, you know, I think Pakistan is a little different. But if you look at Nepal and Bangladesh, most of the farmers are women. If you look at farming, the, the more agroecological, the more organic, the more diversified, the more sustainable farming is, more women are associated with that. The more mechanized, more commercial, more tractors, more input the farming is, it is more men doing that. So in a way, if you look at the sustainability, climate change resilience, if women are farmers, so I'll just extend you know, Sipra's argument, that is not only 20-30% extra yield, but a better farming is always performed by women. Because we talk about something called land husbandry, but this husbandry is more done by women than men. So this is something which also we must, uh, we must need to recognize. Uh, again, no, just to connect uh, what Sipra was telling, see, if you look at the way government support farmers, so nowadays, you must be knowing government is supporting farmers through something called DBT, direct benefit transfer, where farmers are registered in the state uh, you know, farming portals. Every state have agriculture farmer portals and where farmers have to register themselves and all the subsidies, all the grants, all the benefits would uh, you know, go to them through direct benefit transfer process. And unfortunately, in all these you know, registrations, you have to submit land records as a result of which most of the money, even if it is feminized farming like in Uttarakhand or in some other states, women are doing the farming, money goes to the male. So this is in a way put women at a completely disadvantaged position vis-a-vis men as a farmer. So even if you are putting same labor, same effort, because you would have limited access to support services and you know, credit, you, you know, end up uh, becoming a loser. So women farmers are also you know, uh, completely in a way neglected and uh, you know, putting into a very competitive disadvantaged position. Globally, we see the access to agriculture land, control over agriculture land is more decided by religious and cultural practices. And to a great extent, they have been perpetuated when the law and formalization also coming in. Much of the debate around land record management is about formalization and or rather the lack of it, right? And what you are suggesting is that actually formalization may uh, end up entrenching existing inequalities, even perpetuating them more. What are some of the policy measures that you think might actually help women get their fair share of land? What do you think can states or governments or even local level uh, administrations can do to make sure that they get their fair share of access? Just to extend the point, no, Argev, you are making land record, you know, making the na- adding the name in land record. So something, no, you all of us we know that one of the measures that is being so one of the big, big success and uh, best practices or good practices is joint titling. It started with 1980s where planning commission uh, you know, suggested that and where every state went ahead with joint titling, be it new government land uh, you know, that will be allocated as grant or proposing farmers to buy the land also to add uh, women name. So what has happened here, if you see, uh, we analyzed the case of joint titling in Orissa. We found most of the joint titling around 95% were around homestead land. But in agriculture land, joint titling is too less. So this is something you now we have to see how 
if you are really trying uh, to get policies change and then again another thing is happening when you look at the staff duty reduction many states have taken staff duty reduction in the favor of women or completely waiving the staff duty because in india the staff duty is very high i think we have, we have also written a lot about that 7 to 8% so people try to avoid staff duty by registering uh, land in the uh, women's name but it is mostly happening in some urban areas so whatever policies change is taking place they are trickling down to women in certain ecosystems in certain land uses in certain geographies not across so what could be done i think one thing i think no recognize the fact that farming is a profession and farming is not only linked to land ownership but to a land tenure continuum for example uh, where you get a crop loan see all the farming entitlement crop loan insurance fertilizer subsidy market linkages everything is linked to crop not to land so the crop could be seasonal could be annual could be you no know, couple of years most of the cases it is less than a year and when agriculture labor or tenant is you no know, farming in that land if you can recognize as a farm they are a farmer in irrespective of that land ownership and extend them these advantages of credit or uh, this insurance and everything so then what happens this farmer becomes more competitive and gradually they start earning more once they start earning more uh, once they start become successful they you know, acquire dignity in the farm, uh, you know in the society they also their income also increases and they would be able to buy a land uh, later so one of the you know clear uh, low hanging fruit is that identify farming as a profession not dealing it from land ownership and link all the entitlements of the farmer to the farming profession so when a woman is farming let the women irrespective of the land ownership whether the land is there in our name or not you extend the benefits to them that is number one i think model land leasing act that government of india has brought in can in a big way in help that second is that extend joint titling to agriculture land no many states have been trying to do that like lakshmi mukti abhiyan uh, to a great extent in maharashtra but again it limited got limited to mostly housing thing so how we can extend uh, this you know joint titling to agriculture land just adding the women name in the land record is not enough because that also doesn't make them fight against the power and patriarchy and take control so access is not equal to control but i would say access is an entry point to control so if you can have little access in the name of no joint titling adding name in land record like the joint titling will be now more uh, pervasive because if you look at even india's uh, forest right act it talks about joint titling and about 40 million hectares of agriculture you know forest land is going to be under forest right act so that way most of the tribal women and the dalit and other women living close to forest will be able to access that similarly we can extend joint titling to you know other agriculture land so i think these two things if you can really want to help women farmer identifying farming as a profession delinking it to from land uh, ownership and you know based on the land tenure like the use and management or leasing land position uh, extending them all legal rights and then expanding the joint titling will be the two or you know, easy entry points to you know, make women farmers more competitive and you know better recognized uh, and having their dignity got it shipra do you want to come in here on policy interventions that you think could help this as pranav mentioned so emphatically about uh, joint titling it really takes me to the earlier point which i was making about the mindsets of policy makers and whenever we toy, uh, talk about joint titling it really takes me also to the example that i see in uttar pradesh the state of uttar pradesh has this policy of joint titling just like several other states 
fair. But if you go to the policy guidelines, I mean, the, the language of the law in which these joint titlings are issued, the language of the law says that if a land is allocated to a man and if the man is married, then the name of the wife will also be added to that land allocation. Now, when I was talking about the mindset of the policymakers, this language is just the you know exact uh, depiction of that. It, it it you know really tells us how people, even when they are giving joint titling as a policy, they are making a policy on joint titling. They are considering a male to be the primary receiver and a woman just as the appendage to that. So I was just, you know, making that point here. But other than this, I think, you know, even when states have policies related to joint titling and expansion in land leasing provisions, what is more important is recruitment and training of women personals in the revenue departments. One is that even the existing revenue officials, they need to be trained on the provisions which are there specifically for women and also on the specific issues related to gender. And then it is important that, that the revenue officials working in field comprise of some women officials as well so that the domain itself becomes you know, some sort of gender inclusive, then I really think it is important to impart land literacy and awareness to rural women massively so that they know about their existing rights and can assert them as they deem fit. Secondly, I think it's also important for the states to prioritize landless women in the public land distribution uh, efforts, whatever they do. It's important to enumerate and identify uh, landless women, especially from uh, the uh, vulnerable categories such as SC and ST sections, and then prioritize land distribution to them. And I think it is also important for states to have a gender disaggregated database at all levels. And then uh, finally, I had been saying that, you know, gender audit of laws is very important. You know, because in a lot of land laws, they, there are a lot of uh, uh, biases related to women which need to be uh, uh, to be addressed. And this, you know, the uh, language of joint writing is just one that I said. What happens is when people working in the revenue department read these laws, they just get their ideas uh, of, you know, a male being the main landholder that idea just gets more firmed up in their minds. And that's what gets reflected when they uh, do their work in field. So I think a group of all these things is really important. Recruitment of uh, women in uh, revenue workforce, training of existing uh, revenue officials on gender-related aspects, land literacy of rural women, and then uh, prioritizing landless women in land distribution systems. I think all of these are really important. Got it. So that's a long wish list. But, you know, I always uh, ask the guests uh, that, you know, in the spirit of the name of our podcast, which is Land of a Billion, if you had to pick one core challenge that India needs to focus on, and I'm allowing you only one because that's the hard part, right? Which one will you prioritize? Which one will you put your heft behind uh, to secure land rights for a billion? What would that be? Pranab, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think that this is a very diffi- very difficult question. 
see what is that i think we need to engage we need to keep you know engaging keep raising uh, this question again and again and trying to you know pushing the needle forward so this is i think that is the only if you put it one thing i think that engagement is there but in that context i see one thing which can really make you know a billion number possible is technology our uh, technology has its own limitation our uh, technology is always you know, uh, also has a divide but i see particularly adding women name into uh, the digital india land records programs into the india's uh, forest right uh, act ifr records and also to add women name particularly the daughter's name into the land record as per hindu succession act these three things can be possible by using technology which is now possible uh, with you no know, kind of work we are doing around aadhar to kind of work we are doing around health care no cards so there is uh, ways and means to link the records and make it more automated and with india's you know digitization progress i think we can definitely add a billion women's name no, not a billion happy billion women's name into land record yeah, using technology uh, but as sipra said this is the entry point it is just enhancing name uh, adding name then it will lead to enhance access then it will lead to enhance control still a long way to go but definitely it can be entry point got it shipra one core challenge i know you have a long wish list but if you had to put you know if we had limited resources as we always all do what would you put those resources in so i think you know one of the first things which i would like to do in land is uh, simplify land laws there really is a huge maze which anyone you know a person like me when we want to work on land it becomes really difficult to figure out what applies and what doesn't because every state has a different way of dealing with land matters so uh, what i would really you know think think of one thing is you know simplify these land laws so that people are not lost into this huge web and have a, a clear sort of path got it great so this is a fantastic conversation thanks shipra and pranav for being on the land of a billion podcast i hope you enjoyed the conversation as well and i hope our listeners enjoy this too thank you thank you bhargavi thanks so much bhargavi for hosting this conversation today thanks for tuning in to our podcast land of a billion produced in association with the property rights research consortium don't forget to catch new episodes every alternate friday where i will bring you a rundown on the latest charcha around land and housing in india Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts.